Eurozone has the very unique property of having a whole bunch of different sovereign emitters issuing debt into the same currency. We saw that can create these highly varied crises where some countries find themselves in deep trouble while other countries are doing just fine. So that complicates their monetary policy. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to IBKR Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Praisman, and it's my pleasure to welcome Eric Norland from the CME. Today, we're going to discuss the prospects for further ECB rate hikes. Hey, Eric, how are you? Thanks for stopping by the IBKR Podcast Studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Uh, it's great to have you back. And for our listeners, we always have a lot of great material from Eric and the CME available on our website under education. Today, we're going to talk about the ECB and potential rate hikes. But I'd like to kind of just start with the core inflation rate of the Eurozone. Where is that currently? As of the end of July, it's running at 5.5%. So it's running at a pretty high level. Now, we're just starting to get the August numbers out. As of this recording, we don't have the August core CPI for the Eurozone yet. Uh, but we do have it for Spain, for example, where it ticked up from 6% to 6.1%. So we also have some non-core data from various German launder. And that data has come in also pretty close to consensus for the month of uh, August. So it's looking like we're probably going to keep core inflation at around 5.5%, which is just way higher than the ECB's target. And, you know, for our listeners, are all the countries, you know, they contribute equally to the, to the Eurozone? Or are there countries that have, I would kind of assume countries with maybe a bigger population or a, a bigger economy would contribute more? How exactly does it work? Yeah, so the big enchilada is Germany. Um, it's by far the biggest share of the economy, in part because Germany has a really big population of over 80 million people, and in part because they have a higher than average standard of living. Uh, so their economy is just bigger than anyone else for both of those reasons. So together, they're about a, Germany is about one third of Eurozone GDP. So the Eurozone really is heavily weighted toward one country in particular. Let's kind of start with Germany then. Where is their wage growth right now? German wage growth is running at 6.6% year on year, which is a very, very fast rate of wage gains. And of course, that's great for workers. What's less great is that productivity growth in Germany is very slow, running around maybe 1% or 2% at most. So when you have wage growth growing a lot faster than productivity growth, that tends to be very inflationary. So it's really, it seems like that gap just continues to widen then as wage growth is really outrunning the um, productivity growth. And Germany is an interesting economy as well because they're, they're really manufacturer heavy, correct? Yeah, it's a very manufacturing heavy economy. What's interesting about Germany's economy is it creates very high value added manufactured goods. And what that means is that those goods are not so sensitive to fluctuations in exchange rates. So if the euro rallies or falls, it doesn't necessarily impact Germany's highly differentiated export in the same way that it would impact the exports of a country with less differentiated exports like uh, Italy or Spain or France. But what's also interesting about Germany's exports is that a lot of these high value added goods include machinery that is then used in factories in other countries like in China and Japan. I mean, the Chinese economy has been growing very, very slowly recently. And so that's kind of put some downward pressure on their demand for manufacturing equipment that is produced in Germany. And it's put some downward pressure on German exports. And 
it seems the world is kind of moving more toward a service-oriented economy. I know, especially in the U.S., where that's really taking a bigger piece of the pie. Do you see any issues for Germany down the road as far as being so manufacturer-heavy versus everything kind of more moving toward service-oriented? The service sector can be volatile at times. The U.S. discovered, for example, during the subprime crisis 15 years ago. But in general, services tend to be a very diverse group of things, and they tend to be relatively stable. Uh, Manufacturing has always been a bit more cyclical. Germany has resisted some of that cyclicality by being involved in um, areas of, again, a very high-value-added manufacturing, but they're not completely resistant to the cyclicality of it. So the fact that demand for manufactured goods around the world has been falling um, as a result of the COVID reopening and as a result of China's weak economic growth has not been great news for Germany. The other thing is Germany, even though it's a lovely place to visit, does not attract tourists in the same way that Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, and Greece do. Got it. And I kind of like to take this opportunity to pivot over to another country that's in the news a lot, France, which you just mentioned. How is France doing? It seems like they have a fairly heavy uh, debt, both in the public and private sectors. So the French economy has been one of the big outperformers in Europe since the global financial crisis. They've consistently turned in growth rates that are a little bit stronger than most other countries. But the way in which they achieved this was to leverage up their economy. So, for example, at the beginning of this century, the French public debt was 59% of French GDP. Now it is 112% as of the end of last year. So they've doubled the public debt relative to the size of the economy. French household debt at the beginning of this century was 34% of GDP. Now it's up to 66%. You've also had a lot of household borrowing from mortgages, credit cards, et cetera. And then lastly, and most alarmingly, French non-financial corporations, basically all corporations that are not banks, their debt level at the beginning of the century was 94% of French GDP. Now it's up to 162% of French GDP. So France's debt levels have been burgeoning across both the public and the private sector. And none of this mattered much when interest rates were zero because you could just finance all this for free. But now that interest rates are up to four and a quarter, and it seems likely heading at least a little bit higher, this is not particularly great news for France in particular. So, you know, with Germany and France obviously contributing heavily to the Eurozone, are there bright spots in the Eurozone that people may not know of, maybe some of the smaller countries or any economies that are really kind of taking everything in stride given the current environment? You know, since the European debt crisis, uh, which really kind of peaked a little bit over a decade ago, around 2011 and 2012, certain European countries have taken great strides to deleverage. So Ireland has gone through a massive deleveraging process, as has Spain and Portugal. So those countries, which used to be very vulnerable, because they had high debt, now have very, very low levels of debt. I would also point out that Greece is also really starting to prosper. I go to Greece every summer. I was just there a few weeks ago. And Um, I think Greece has really worked through a lot of its economic problems. It does still have a lot of government debt, but that government debt as part of their so-called bailout package was restructured to have much longer maturity, uh, which means that they're a bit less sensitive to short-term fluctuations in ECB rates than other countries are. So those four countries, I think, give you really a good cause for hope. And then Germany and Austria also have very low debt levels, much below the Eurozone average. So those two countries may also not be so negatively impacted by the ECB's rate hikes. 
And, you know, besides for France, are there any other debt crises brewing um, in the Eurozone that you know of? Yeah. So the other two countries that have increased their leverage a lot over the last uh, several years and have significantly above average levels of debt are Finland and Belgium. So those could also be countries to watch for a little bit that are not really in the news right now, but could get into the news if we start seeing an uptick in default rates. So given this, this environment in Europe, and especially with obviously Germany being the biggest contributor, but then this country's sort of a little bit all over the place from what you're saying. Some are bright spots, some sort of grenades waiting to go off there. In your opinion, what should the ECB do with rates? Did you think they should hike them or should lower them? Or what kind of time frame would you think they should change them over? Yeah, that's the toughest question. So they've already raised rates a great deal. So they took their main refinancing rate from zero to 425. Um, it looks either possible or even probable that they'll raise rates another quarter point on September 14th when they have their next announcement, uh, which of course is coming up very quickly. Now, if they do that, it would bring their rates to four and a half percent. The thing is that's still a full percent below their core rate of inflation. Uh, when you compare them to say the Bank of Canada or the US Federal Reserve, they now have their policy rates above the rate of inflation. So that would imply that maybe the ECB has significantly more to go on the upside. On the other hand, the Eurozone has a very unique property of having a whole bunch of different sovereign emitters issuing debt into the same currency. We saw that can create these highly varied crises where some countries find themselves in deep trouble while other countries are doing just fine. So that complicates their monetary policy. The last thing that complicates it is that there's a lot of data out there, including the PMI surveys, especially for German manufacturing, showing that certain sectors of the EU economy are already contracting. So yes, the wages are growing quickly in Germany, but economic activity is not. The last, last thing that they have to be aware of is the lag time between raising rates and the ultimate economic consequences of that. And that lag time is probably somewhere in the area of one to two years. So if they raise rates, say, through the end of this year, the full impact of those rate hikes on the general level of economic activity, as well as on inflation, may not be felt until 2024, 2025, or even later. This has been great, by the way, Eric. Is there any kind of last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with regarding the ECB or its relationship with the U.S. and how it kind of differs? There seems like with, with those different sovereignties, there's another layer of complexity almost that they need to worry about. But there's really two things I'd like to leave with. So one is that there's always been this lag time between what the Europeans are doing and what the Americans are doing. For example, the U.S. had a recession in 1990 and 1991, Europe about a year later around 1992. If you look back to the last decade or actually a decade and a half ago, two decades ago really now, that time, the Fed raised rates from 2004 to 2006. The ECB raised rates from 2005 to 2008. So they were roughly a year behind, even two years behind the Fed and their policy tightening. This time around, they've also been behind the U.S. Federal Reserve. The Fed may well be done, where the ECB is continuing to go. And our economic cycle appears to be a bit behind the U.S. as well. Like Inflation really took off in Europe about six months after it started taking off in the U.S. So what's happening to you is maybe a leading indicator as to what's going to happen later on in Europe. Last thing to mention is, is the other really big country we haven't mentioned, which is Italy. Italy is in this weird situation where they have a really huge public sector debt, around 130 or 140 percent of GDP, but they also have a very, very tiny private sector debt. 
Italian households and corporations just don't do much debt. So that'll also be an interesting one to watch as well. Thank you, Eric, for stopping by the IPKR podcast. For more from Eric Norland and the CME, go to our website, go down to education. You can see podcasts, webinars, and other educational material that they've been kind enough to provide us with. I also want to remind everyone that you can find all our podcasts on our website under education. Scroll down to IBKR Podcasts or on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, and Audible. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Jeff Praisman with Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at IBKRPodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit IBKR.com. We offer more trading education materials, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary. Seek professional advice.